My journey as a Superman fan started with a tattered red cape blowing in the wind. That ending rocketed me forward like a red-blue blur. Through a decade-long origin story and poignant tales of self-discovery and fatherhood, and backwards to the character's very beginnings. Now, on this podcast, we journey together across time and media to examine the stories that have defined the Man of Steel for over 80 years. Welcome to Digging for Kryptonite, a Superman fan journey. I am your host, Anthony Desiato. This is the Donnerverse Part 5, the finale, and joining me to discuss the 2006 film Superman Returns, starring Brandon Routh, is returning guest, sweet, sweet, Bernie Gerstmeyer. Welcome back. Hey, Anthony. Thanks for having me back. It's great to talk to you. Always a pleasure. This movie came out, as I said, in 2006. I've been waiting 16 years <laughs> to have this conversation. I've talked about it here and there, of course, mm -hmm. over the years. But to be able to have this concentrated discussion on it, I can't tell you how excited I am. I, I am also excited. There's, I was, I was brushing up on articles. I was, after watching the movie, my daughter, Lana, she had never seen it. So we got to experience it together. And, and she was like, dad, that's a, that's a good movie. I feel like a lot of people poop on this movie. And I was like, yep, it's a good movie. And we're going to talk about it tonight. I'm excited. That's one of the reasons why I've long wanted to do an episode on Superman returns. I had a very specific and not all that favorable reaction to it when it came out in 2006. And I want to talk about, for each of us, what that experience was like initially. So I've had this impression of the movie in my head all this time. And one of the things that, you know, I love to do on this podcast is to revisit some of those things and see how they hold up or not all these years later, see how our, our you know, perceptions of it may have changed. And specifically to do so in the context of this Donnerverse event, because this film, you know, more than any other was an attempt to revive that franchise and that universe. It utilizes, in particular, the first two movies in the, the Christopher Reeve series as its backstory, as its continuity. It utilizes the John Williams theme. It utilizes Marlon Brando as Jor-El and just the overall aesthetic and, and feel of it. So it was very much an attempt to revive the Donnerverse. So a perfectly fitting conclusion to our Donnerverse event here. And over the course of our time together... There's so much to unpack, as I always like to say. And in particular, some of the big picture questions that I would like to be able to explore as we're moving forward, certainly how well the movie works as a film in and of itself, but even more particularly, how well does it work as part of the Donnerverse? And so I think there's really a lot for us to dig into here, and I'm excited to do all of that. Now, I said that, of course, the stars Brandon Routh, it also involves two rather controversial figures. And I'll just address this right at the top. It's directed by Brian Singer, and it also stars Kevin Spacey as Lex Luthor, two people who have been accused of a range of sexual misconduct. Yeah. And, you know, this happens from time to time, especially as host of the show, dealing with something like this, and it can get a little dicey. All I'll say is this. I feel like, and I'm only speaking for myself, but I think that... In terms of whether, when, and to what extent we can and should separate the art from the artist, mm -hmm. I think that's ultimately a personal calculus that each person needs to make for themselves. For myself, and I know this is sort of the cop-out lawyerly answer, but it, it depends. And in this case in particular, I certainly, I feel like it would be doing the Superman mythology and the audience and this podcast a disservice if 
we didn't do an episode on Superman Returns. So we're here and we're going to get into it. Yeah, I along the lines of the cancel culture, I, I think we should always be really careful to separate. We have people that are already, they're actors. They're already pretending to be somebody else. They're pretending to be a character. I don't think we should cancel a project or a movie and stop watching it or talking about it because of the issues they had as a person. If it was a politician or a public figure, that's they're 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 playing themselves. I mean, Kevin Spacey's not playing. Kevin Spacey's playing Lex Luthor. So, so yeah, I, I'm with you. I think it's I think it's a personal thing for everybody. But I I'm excited because there's a lot of reasons why I felt excited about this in 2006 and why I was excited to talk about it with you today. So. Let's jump in, baby. Yes. Actually, wait. One one more thing that I want to say, because it is important, and it ties into material that I'll, I'll be referencing. So, of course, I rewatched Superman Returns itself, but I also spent what amounted to hours going through the bonus material on the Blu-ray. So, as I've mentioned before, I have that motion picture anthology Blu-ray that Warner Brothers mm-hmm. put out, Superman from 78 through 2006. So, all the Reeve movies and the Ralph film. And I watched all of the deleted scenes, and I want to talk about that in particular. There's this very interesting deleted opening that would have shown Superman exploring the remains of Krypton. And there's there are other deleted scenes as well, but that one certainly stood out. But I yeah. also watched, and I don't know if you've ever had a chance to take a look at this, but there's a very lengthy multi-part documentary showing the making of. It's called Requiem for Krypton. Have you ever watched that? You know, I didn't watch that. I watched the look up in the sky. Gotcha. Um, documentary but i did not watch that and i'm curious to hear about it it's i'll i'm sure i'll reference it as we move forward but it was really interesting it it gave you a great behind the scenes look at how they filmed everything and it was really cool just to get that peek behind the curtain and see what was actually literally happening on set compared to the finished product that we see the reason i bring it up here especially in the context of cancel culture and singer and, and spacey and all that yeah especially when we're talking about the director of the film what stood out to me, I think more than anything watching that that documentary, was how many people are involved in bringing a movie like this in particular to life. And over the course of, again, it was hours long. This <laughs> was a long, it was, it was a lengthy watch, but it was worth it. You see the costume designers and the makeup artists and the hair people and the set designers and the set builders and, and of course, the actors. So all of these people, and I don't mean to be reductive or diminish the role of the director but you know there were a lot of sequences where you know one of the artists for example would go up to singer and say okay here are a few options and he would say i like that one and so again i don't mean to diminish the role of the director but you know you see again all of these other people working to bring this vision and it is ultimately his vision we cannot get around that but all these people working to bring it to life and so by talking about the movie we are talking about more than just singer we are talking about all these other people who worked on it well, we're also talking about every project that happened before this movie since 1987. Um, so uh, an article I just read on Den of Geek, um, they talked about, hey, so this had a $270 million budget. And that kind of threw people off to from the get-go. But what they were not remembering was there was a lot, there were two other, there are versions of a movie that were already going to be made before this one got made. And I'm sure as the article referenced too, was that might've gotten thrown on top of that budget to cover the, the loss 
of the Nicolas Cage and John Peters project, the JJ Abrams script that never made it, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, but yeah, think about the amount of people and project creation that goes into $270 million budget movie. Yes. And to your point about those other projects, I got to give a shout out to V. Ken Marion because it was his encouragement that led me to do our recent episode on Superman Lives, the aborted yeah. Tim Burton, Nicolas Cage movie. And man, am I so glad we did that before this Donnerverse event and in particular before the Superman Returns episode, because I feel like it really puts everything into perspective, like everything just snaps into focus here Yeah, when you understand the development hell that the Superman film franchise was in for all of those years. And it's very clear to see why when Singer came forward with this pitch, a return to the one form of Superman on screen that had really worked, yes. why the executives went for it. You, it oh, yeah. It's not one of those things where you're like, gee, how did this end up on screen? It's like, no, no, no. I totally get it. <laughs> oh, yeah. This is this is a love letter to one of the finest origin story superhero movies ever made. And and that's what it comes down to, that Warner Brothers went, okay, all of you are bananas. This guy's finally saying, let's, let's pay honor to something that we know works. That's a safe bet. Um, and, and there's a lot we can talk about just about that alone, which I'm really excited about. So not to keep the people in suspense, but before we give our verdicts on the movie now, how we feel about it now, take me back to 2006 because really I it's it's fascinating to me I'm so curious to hear from you mm -hmm. what your initial reaction to this movie was so where in your life were you when you first experienced this and what was your reaction to it when it first came out okay so for those because now we are doing audio only so the listeners uh, my voice could sound like I'm 32 but I am the young age of 45 so I was born in 1976 two years before the original Donner movie came out. Now, the when we get to 87 for Superman 4, that puts me at 11 years old. I'm at, I'm at the, like, the height of I love all things superheroes. From 1987 through basically 2005, all we really had, Anthony, for me, was the Lois and Clark series and the animated series. Maybe I guess you can count Superboy and, and some of those things, but there was not really an on-screen presence of Superman. When they announced this, I bought every single piece of merch you could possibly find that came out for Superman Returns. To my right, I have a Captain Crunch lunch, uh, Captain Crunch cereal box. I've got like a Superman Returns, Brandon Ralph birthday card my mom gave me, of, of, like, a, like all different types of merch that has his likeness on it because It'd been so long since all of us as Superman fans had anything this mega blockbuster that we can celebrate. I even have the double-sided movie poster that just has the Superman symbol and says returns 2006. I lost my poop and found that because I was also, I had friends that worked for Lowe's or AMC now and got me that poster. So it's like the kind that you would put in the, the, the light box that you can see both sides. I, I will tell you, I could not have lost my, I think the only movie I lost my mind more about was Star Wars Force Awakens. I think that's, a, it was a, it was a close second to how I felt about Superman. I was elated that there was a movie going to come out. Gotcha. What about Smallville? I mean, he wasn't Superman yet. Yeah, but that's, that's, we're not talking silver screen, Anthony. <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> 
especially then, you know, the divide between film and TV has 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 been uh, erased a bit, and you know, in any event. So you had all of this excitement going in, and then right. what is your reaction when you see it on the big screen for the first time? Okay, so any big movie. So for me, like for my likings, a Superman movie, a Star Wars movie, a Star Trek movie, um, the big franchises that I love, I will always go at least twice. Um, the I, I can't count the first viewing as any sort of judgment because I'm just sitting there in awe, excited that I'm watching a Superman movie. So you could have punched me in the face during that show. I wouldn't have felt it until three hours later. I was smiling the whole time. The plane scene was incredible. All of it. I mean, I felt that he was an embodiment of Christopher Reeve. I loved what I was watching. I walked out happy, found a lot of joy. I waited a few days, let that kind of simmer down a little bit. I went back a second time. After the second time, I was getting a little more critical, but but minimally, which I'll share with you tonight. Because on the rewatch, I haven't watched this movie since that DVD pack came out that had Superman movie all the way through uh, Superman Returns. That was the last time I've watched the movie. And not because... Not because I didn't enjoy the movie. It just it wasn't a movie that stood out to me. I mean, for that matter, I haven't really watched Superman 2 in a long time. Um, but I was definitely more critical the second time around. Um, but I, I really feel when Lana and I watched this movie, I was pleasantly surprised how a lot of things held up. And I wasn't still as upset about the things that made me upset back in 2006. Okay. Very interesting. All right. So... For myself, journeying back to 2006, I think you and I were similar in terms of the level of excitement, although I didn't go as far as you did it with all the merch and everything, but I was definitely <laughs> excited. Now, in terms of age, I am actually, by the time this episode comes out, I'm doing the math here. Yeah. By the time this episode comes out, I'll be 35. <laughs> so when Superman 4 came out, it came out yeah. the year I was born. So I, this was the first Superman movie. Yeah. that I saw on the big screen. And man, was I ready for it. I well, was, yeah. you're also like, you're you're five years into Smallville, just like on cloud nine, like, woo, now it's a movie. <laughs> yeah, although interesting to think about the ways in which, you know, they kept those projects separate. Anyway, that's a, a kind yeah. of a, a separate. <laughs> that's another podcast. That's another podcast. <laughs> but I, I could not have been more excited. I was a freshman in college when all the trailers and everything were coming out. The movie came out the summer after my freshman year. But I remember, mm -hmm. I still remember the day I watched the trailer for the first time and then I had an English class right after. And I remember, mm -hmm. I was just thinking about, I was just replaying that trailer in my head over and over in that class, I remember it. And watching that trailer, you hear Marlon Brando as Jor-El and you hear the John Williams theme and you see the Kent farm mm -hmm. and it just for me at that point in time, really hit all the right notes. I, I was, I have since changed my position and people have heard this on the show. I, I, mm. the idea of setting a film in the Donnerverse is not something I would welcome now, but right. at the time I was totally on board with that. And look, speaking honestly about singer at the time, man, I was a fan. I, I, what's funny is, you know, I've never been an X-Men fan of the comics for mm -hmm. the most part. But I really enjoyed the first X-Men movie, and I loved X2, X-Men United. So when they announced that guy was going to take over Superman, and he loves Superman, and he loves the Donner movies, and he's going to bring back that version of the character, ah, what more do you want? 
yeah, I'm in. Like that, I, I was a huge X-Men fan. I was reading the Chris Claremont, Jim Lee stuff. I was watching the X-Men Adventures cartoon. Brian Singer drops those two movies. And now keep in mind, something I also read that kind of put it in perspective is we are so spoiled that right now I feel we have two or three superhero movies per year. Like the only superhero franchise that was really doing anything at the time. This is also pre-Christian Bale Batman. And it's it's only the Brian Singer X-Men that was having a stakeholder inside of like the big blockbuster superhero movie. I'm trying to think what the other one might have been. Well, Batman Begins was 2005. So that so was the year before. That, did that just start? Okay. Did so, that just started. Right. And and it's interesting looking at the tone of that movie and this and this movie too, which are, are very contrasting between Singer and Nolan. But we're we're all such noobs. We haven't had good superhero movies that weren't like direct to DVD, direct to VHS since the late 80s or early 90s. So we had every right to be excited and but also probably had a better chance of being let down possibly too. Indeed. Yeah, I agree with that. And that leads to my viewing experience <laughs> on opening night. But I remember I got together with my buddies, my four best friends from high school. We all stayed in touch. And actually, three of us all went to Fordham together for college. So we were all still you know, very connected. Mm-hmm. And I remember we met at one of my buddies' house for a barbecue. So we ate, and then we went over to Movie Land on Central Avenue in Yonkers, New York, which is now the Alamo Draft House. The er- what, how, whatever the earliest advanced screening was that we could see it in June 2006, that's when we saw it. And I remember sitting there so excited and the first thing <laughs> that comes on screen is the text is that now look we have the larger context now we understand there was this whole sequence of superman exploring the remains of krypton that was jettisoned but i didn't know that at the time mm-hmm. so it opens with this text and even as a you know 19 year old i remember sitting there and being like a weird way to <laughs> to like kickstart this movie i wasn't it's not like oh man i was instantly put off but it was just one of those things where i was like okay like this is kind of an off a little bit of an off note like show us show us don't tell us right and you know we get the little imagery of krypton and the the Mm -hmm. voiceover from jor-el from the first movie and then we we go right into the classic opening credits and the music and it's like okay we're in this and then our first scene post credits is Lex swindling yeah. the old lady, Noel Neal, which is a nice bit of <laughs> Noel Neal, right? Yep. But swindling the old lady, and I just remember it was just the the best way I can try to encapsulate this is that feeling that started when I saw that text opening the movie mm-hmm. just kept growing as oh. the movie went on, and it was one of those things where it was it was like uh, almost this bit of dissonance, and I talked about that when I talked about the Smallville series finale in another episode where. Mm-hmm. Like what I was seeing and like it just wasn't computing because I wanted, I wanted to like this movie so much. Yeah. And I wasn't. And I was, my brain didn't know what to do with that. <laughs> well, and it's it's really tough. So you were 19. Yeah. Okay. So I guess I'm, I was like 29. So it's just, it's a very interesting thing. Like just even 10 years difference of how you approach it. I learned over my 10 years of adulthood since college to always go into things with low expectations. 
like because you will you will be pleasantly surprised or oh okay so again i was i kind of went into that first viewing with i want to see what they're going to offer like let me see what they offer um i was also kind of excited too because my wife renee something that i've always loved about her is that she doesn't just love me as her husband, but she appreciates and cares for everything that I find important. So she watched Superman the movie with me because I she knew how much I cared for that movie. And then she was legitimately excited to see Superman return. So she came with me to see that movie. So I was actually more excited because she was with me watching it. And it wasn't me just, you know, like, all right, this is my thing. I'm going. She was really interested and she kept mentioning how interesting it was to connect to Superman too and how much he did feel like Christopher Reeve, like re-embodiment kind of vibe. So I think we were approaching it from, this is exciting for us to see. And, and again, low level, like, let's just see what they're going to offer. And then I'm going to go see it again and offer my judgment. Well, you had the right approach. I've gotten better about that in the <laughs> year since, although it's funny, the, comic shop owner I worked for for many years and I've spoken Good about him Steve. a lot in my other projects. One of his adages is keep your expectations low and you'll never be disappointed. And I have taken that to heart. I think more mm -hmm. often than not, there are certain exceptions and Superman is one and sometimes right. I do get burned, but so it goes. But it's funny that you mentioned, uh, you know, your, your date for the movie because I had a similar experience when Man of Steel rolled around. My now wife and I had just started dating. Yeah. And we went to see that. Uh, the other thing I remember about it was I was overcoming a, a rough bout of food poisoning. And oh, I no. almost didn't make, like, it was one of those things where I was like, I don't know if I'm going to feel well enough to do this. <laughs> Thankfully, <laughs> uh, it, it all worked out. But yeah, the where you are in your life and who you're with, all of that definitely colors it. Yeah. But so I came out of that not hating the movie, but definitely feeling let down. And over the years, this has been my assessment of the movie. I'm not saying this is still what I feel. Maybe okay. I do in some respects, but this is historically, in the 16 years since, what I've said about the movie whenever it's come up. I've said that it was this odd blend of sequel and remake. Sequel in the yeah. sense that, of course, it utilizes the first two Superman movies as its backstory. Singer has said as much, and watching the movie, you definitely feel that in in ways big and small when lex and kitty are at the fortress and kitty says you look like you've been here before you know right out of superman 2 lois's yep. article how i spent the night with superman right out of the first superman movie uh so it, it's a sequel in that sense but it's also a remake of superman the movie in in many ways it hits a lot of yeah. the same plot points and emotional beats as the first movie from the yeah. again we lost the time on krypton but if you include that deleted footage krypton to Smallville, to Metropolis, the rooftop interview, the plane save, Lex's real estate scheme, all of that, the wink at the camera at the end and the smile, like all of it. And I felt that that blend of remake and sequel didn't serve the movie well. I always said, I liked Brandon Routh. I wish I could have seen him play Superman instead of playing Christopher Reeve playing Superman. That was always the line. Yes. And I know I'm not alone in that. And I did too, I guess, always subscribe a bit to the common criticism that the movie was a bit dull and lacking in, in action. Yeah. So again, for all of these years, whenever the movie has come up, that's kind of where I've landed on it. In recent, I don't want to say years, but certainly over the time that I've been doing this podcast, I've gotten more curious about going back to it, especially now as a father. 
right? right? We get to the end of the movie and we find out that Jason, Lois, Lois's son, is actually also Clark's son. And I was wondering, you know, how that would hit me now. You know, that was something that at the time didn't really, was not as meaningful to me. But I figured, oh, that might hit me differently. And, you know, so much time has passed and I'm not going into it with those expectations now. So I was curious as to how I would come out. And I would say, and there's still a lot to sort out, but mm-hmm. I think there's more good than bad by far in this movie. I think yeah. that a lot of the... Hate, hate might even be too strong a word, but the negative fan feeling towards this word, I, I think is not totally justified. I think there's really a lot to love here. There's a lot that also does not work in fairness, but right. overall, yeah. I definitely came away from this with the most favorable impression of the movie that I've had thus far. I would agree. I, I think if I had to like rate the movie after my second viewing in 2006, I probably after making... Some of those judgments, some concerns. I was not a fan of Jason being his son. I, was, I did not like that at all, actually, when I first saw it. I probably would have given it like a 6 to 7 out of 10. I think I would have been right around maybe a 6.5. I think re-watching it and looking at it in a different lens and not necessarily like the scope of Superman, but in the vacuum that it needs to be put in, I, I think as a movie... I would probably put it like an eight or an 8.5 as a film. And if you treat it like Superman three and let it rest, I, I I'm happy with that. I think I can, I can, I'm very pleased with a lot of the things they try to do, but like many movies. And if you honestly go back to even Superman, the movie and Superman two, there are holes. There are things that are like, I don't know why they chose to go that route, but, but there's a lot to, to kind of dissect. That's good and weird about Superman Returns. Um, The first being, just to jump in just real fast, the ages of both Brandon Routh and Kate Bosworth when they made this movie was an odd choice. And and again, they did, they they, um, auditioned hundreds of actors. It was a worldwide search again, like they did for Christopher Reeve. Um, And I don't think it was a bad choice, but if we're telling a story that's supposed to happen five years after Superman two, and he's supposed to have had a newspaper career with Lois Lane, yet he's 26. Even if you say he looks a little older, he's 30. I, 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 the math doesn't work out. It doesn't work out. They just, they look too young. They seem to earth one, like Genesis Superman, Lois Lane. Your your point is is well taken. It's so funny going back to Smallville. You know, Brandon Routh was younger than Tom Welling, who was playing this yeah. teenage version of the character at the same time. Yep. Yeah. There's someone on Twitter who I think it's Nick's Comics and Flicks. My apologies if I've mangled that. But he posted a take recently that said that the movie would have worked better and been better received if it had been a, an all-out sequel set in the 80s yeah now the being set in the 80s part is interesting i could i could kind of go either way on that but to the to the other point and kind of what i think you know where where you were going it's like yeah and going back to my earlier point too where it tried to be both yes right it tried to be this redo of the first superman movie and look the conceit of this metatextually is that superman in the in the story right has been gone for five years but in our world 
he's been off the big screen for almost 20 years. So it's a return yeah. in two senses. And let's be careful too, as much as I'm judging it, Superman has an age since 1938. <laughs> like this is the first time in comics these last two years that we're seeing him with gray hair. Right. I mean, like in actual continuity, not in Elseworlds Kingdom Come, in actual continuity. So I guess judging age might not be the best thing to do, but I mean, the way you said it is perfect. It, it is trying to harken back to the 80s, but bring in modern viewers. We have to remember that as sad as we don't want to think about, this is a business for Warner Brothers. They, they want to bring new viewers, new fans. They want to make money on this movie. They may not think getting a 34-year-old to play Superman would be the best move at that time. Right. And so that's one of the things, like I said at the beginning, you know, how well this movie works in and of itself, but also how well it works in the context of the Donnerverse. And I think, yeah. you know, that's one of the questions here. What audience are we really trying to serve and appeal to? Both. <laughs> and I don't know that it, I don't know that it, it works for both. I mean, I don't know for someone who, and I would be curious, you know, anyone listening to this, if this was your first, I mean, this was my first Superman movie in theaters, but it was my first Superman movie. Correct. Like, I would be curious yeah. for someone who saw this at, and had never seen a Superman movie before, did it work or not? I, I, I would be surprised if it did, but maybe it did. I, you know, I don't know. Well, and that could be hard because this is, if you've never seen a Superman movie before, it's not an origin movie. Right. So you really have no idea what the backstory is. What are you why? talking about? You got that great text at the beginning of the movie. What more, oh, more you're do you right. need? You're, you're right. But it didn't scroll, did it? <laughs> No, it was very <laughs> static. It was very static. You're just gonna, you're just gonna let it sit there, Brian. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, <laughs> I, I would say they Warner Brothers was trying to sell this movie to both, but I don't think they succeeded in doing so. I think when you do that, I don't think one wins over the other. I think they both suffer. I think both attempts suffer. Either pick one or the other. Like. Wonder Woman 1984 had the same kind of issues if you saw that movie too. Mm -hmm. Sadly enough on Christmas, Merry Christmas to us. Um, but they tried really hard to do that and it doesn't work. They, they, they didn't, they should have just set it in one age. As far as the casting goes, I, I've always been a fan of Brandon Routh in this role. My, my earlier Agreed. criticism is that I, I did always like him in this role. And look, yeah. his assignment was to play the Christopher Reeve version of the character. And he did a wonderful job. I was always much colder on Kate Bosworth. I got to tell you, though, watching it this time, mm -hmm. would I say she's my favorite Lois? No, but I was okay with her Lois. I would agree. I fully agree with you. It, there's something about, I don't know whether it's because it's been more time. I, 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 I was not as bothered by her through this, through this viewing. Um, I will disagree with something, though. I, I actually like Brandon Routh's Clark Kent more than I like Christopher Reeves. And I know that I might get slapped around a little bit. No, I not do, by me. <laughs> I I think Christopher Reeve played Clark Kent too bumbling. Um, I think his Superman is just spot on. Like if especially if you're looking at like the Kurt Swan 70s, 80s Superman, just wholesome, pure, good hearted. I think Brandon did a really nice job of balancing the two where Superman was very kind and pure. But Clark Kent, he was still a pretty cool guy. Like he was a nice guy, but he he didn't like fall over himself or others to hide. He did a fine job. 
One of my favorite moments in the movie is when Richard and Lois are talking about whether or not Clark could be Superman. And of course, Clark yes. can hear it. And he just, he does this like, he just kind of stops and like Looks. gives this awkward wave. It's great. It's great. It's, it is really good. Like he's a good actor. We're talking casting. Mm-hmm. For me, the biggest problem was Kevin Spacey as Lex. I, I would agree. Both the performance as well as the overall characterization. Here's my big take on this, okay? And I'm, I want to get your take and, and Go see for it. what you Do it. what you think. So <laughs> we we talked about this in part one of this event when we when we talked about Superman the movie. But I felt like in Superman the movie, Gene Hackman's Lex serves a very specific role in the movie. I feel like his role there is more functional, especially in terms of the plot. He's there to create that third act climax right. and and pose a challenge for Superman. That movie to me is really far more about this journey, this epic journey, Krypton to Smallville to Metropolis. Correct. And Lex is there to provide some comic relief and to set up the third act. Yeah, And the movie I feel the movie and Gene Hackman understand that and they deploy mm-hmm. Lex perfectly. It's Is it my all-time favorite take on Lex? No, but it works. Like it totally works yes. in the context of that movie. You know, he owns, and, so, yeah. And it works in Superman too because he's not the main villain either. Right. He's a secondary, he's still comic relief trying to help the three Kryptonians. Yes, All yeah, right, for sure. Ahead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so that's the thing. In Superman the movie, I feel like his, his role is more functional. And- his motivation is more superficial. We've gotten other takes on the big and small screen in the years since of Lex Luthor's with a more philosophical, ideological opposition to Superman. This Lex is not really that. He has this real estate scheme and Superman's in his way and he's going to take him out. And again, in that context, it works perfectly fine. Lois, on the other hand, her role is more, more speaks to the emotion and the character development. So they have their roles to play. In Superman Returns, I felt like we didn't get any more depth in terms of Lex's character or motivation, yet I feel like the movie tried to pin more on him in terms of moving the story forward than that character was really capable of. And I would argue the fact that his is the first scene we get after the credits, as the viewer, that does something subconsciously where it's like, oh, this is in large part Lex's story. And so I feel like in a lot of ways, this movie tried to position it not fully, but definitely more so than Superman the movie as a Superman versus Lex tale. And again, I just don't think that this iteration of Lex can support that. And right. and also speaking to the performance in particular, it, it was still clearly, I feel like he was written in much the same way as the Lex of Superman, the movie, but he had none space. He doesn't have that charm. It's so dry. Whereas Hackman's had that, he had that charm. Like Hackman had a smirk. Like, and it was a smirk that almost winked at the camera. Like he didn't need to wink at the camera, but you knew it was camp. And this is another perfect example of what you were saying. Like we're trying to pay honor to the old, but 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 Kevin Spacey, it was like watching Usual Suspects, <laughs> you know, and like you can't make if you're going to make Lex Luthor from the 70s into the 80s maniacal. That's what Kevin Spacey was trying to do. But see, Lex Luthor in the Donner movies mm-hmm. was it was it's hard. It was like megalomaniac. 
he was not psychotic. He wanted to own, he like he he had a brilliant criminal mind on how to create and, mm-hmm. and finish crimes. But he wasn't like he didn't come off as angry. He didn't come off as psychotic. And that's what Kevin Spacey did. That that's what threw me off when he was like even screaming. That's if you're gonna if you're trying to be the Gene Hackman Lex, that's that he would never do that. Um I, I he would actually probably more rob the old lady out of all of her money. That 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 tracked better than the way he was talking to Lois and even the way he was coming at Superman on the, on the Island itself. Oh, I want to get to that, but yeah, but just to back up for, for a second. Yeah. Um, I feel like there was, there was at least one moment that tried to get at something deeper. Mm-hmm. I believe it's Lois says to him, you know, you're not a God. And Lex says, no, gods are selfish beings who fly around in silly red capes and don't share their power with people, with mankind. Yeah. And it's like, I guess was he referring to the fact that Superman didn't use his crystals to create land masses? Because it's like he does share his power. He saves people. What more do you want? I don't like yeah. But so I felt like that was an attempt to try to get at something a little bit deeper. But I, I, I didn't feel like it landed. And the yelling? Oh my God. Okay. So I talked about my experience sitting in the theater, but I will say there was one warning sign that I had uh-huh. from one of the trailers. And it was, they used the clip of him yelling at Lois when he's like, say it, I want to hear you say it. And she starts to say, Superman will stop you. And he goes, I won't yell into the mic, but he goes, yeah. wrong, that whole thing. Yeah. And I remember watching that in the trailer and I was like, what? Like, it just yeah. felt off. It just felt off note to me. And I and honestly, Kevin Spacey is one of the reasons I would still give it like an eight out of 10. Like him alone drops my rating down just because I, I think it's very out of context of the rest of the movie. Um, Parker Posey, however, is one of the bright spots of this movie. Like she is, she knows exactly what her role is and she's playing like a great Miss Tessmacher, but not Miss Tessmacher. Yes. Oh, she was great. You know, when we get to that, that battle on the, oh on, my gosh. On, on new Krypton and-, and she's like weeping, crying and like, well, even before that, though, when there's that moment of recognition because Superman had saved yeah. her, he thought, well, it actually was real because Lex had cut the brakes, even though it was supposed right. to be all for show. But, you know, he recognizes her from saving her previously. And yeah. she there's the sense of shame that's across her face. And it's with her eyes. She's like, I'm sorry. And there's it's, you know, obviously no word spoken, but it was great. She was lovely. Uh, the other thing, here's the other big picture thing with Lex. And I was, you know, I've really been thinking about this and I'm do my best to articulate it. Like I said before, in in many ways, this movie hits the same beats as Superman, the movie, down to dialogue. You know, when he saves the airplane, he gets on, he's statistically speaking, it's still the safest way to travel, a lot of that. However, I would argue, in defense of the movie, that the fact that he's been gone for so long, and now he's back, puts a different spin on a lot of these familiar moments. So... Mm -hmm the rooftop scene, the rooftop interview with Lois. This is not the same Lois who was awestruck by him. This is a Lois who's who's been burned by him. They had something and now he's been gone and now he's back, right? So it's it's familiar territory, but there's a different spin on it. All right. But I feel like all the Lex stuff was really just the same. It was amplified. Mm-hmm. Now we have more special effects. Now it's not just 
a missile hitting a fault line, you know, now it's this continent that's going to, you know, uh, overtake half of North America or whatever it is, but it was still the same. And that was, that's, I really feel like the Lex pieces of this were the, my wife watched the first maybe half hour before she went to sleep. And the <laughs> next morning I was like, what do you like? Cause she loves it. Just as a side note, uh, she and I watched the first few seasons of legends of tomorrow. We gave up after yeah. a while, but right. Both of us, and my wife in particular, really, really loved Brandon Routh as Ray Palmer. Yeah. And she had seen this movie years ago, but didn't really remember it too well. And and I was like, oh, I got my homework tonight. I got to watch Superman Returns. She was like, can I watch some of it? I'm like, yeah, of course. And so she got through about a half hour of it. And the next morning I was like, so like, what did you think? And she's like, yeah, I like, you know, I liked all the Brandon Routh stuff. She goes, but Lex, that's where See, the movie lost her. And that's so interesting. Again, somebody who's not even as vested a fraction <laughs> as much as we are like, eh, nah. Yeah. I mean, I I've loved, I like Brandon Routh on Chuck. I liked him on And again, when he was on arrow, we were big arrow fans for the first number of seasons. And he was great on that show too. Um, I, I Kevin Spacey was, I, I don't know if he was miscasted, misdirected or allowed too much freedom. I, I think it's probably the latter because he's Kevin Spacey. Probably. Um, I want to go back to the battle on the, the island. Beating. The, the beating. The beating on the island. Yeah. Let's take a quick commercial break and then we'll get into that. So we'll be right Sounds back. Good. Acme Comics is a locally owned and operated full service comic book store in Greensboro, North Carolina for people of all ages and walks of life. Since 1983, this nine time Eisner Award nominee uses their collective knowledge and resources to connect you with the best material available. They pride themselves on their significant contemporary and vintage back-issue selection. Mail-order subscriptions to new releases are available, and all offerings are available to anyone, anywhere, via mail order. Follow Acme on social media and eBay, listen to the AcmeCast on all podcast services, and visit acmecomics.com for much more. Film lovers and filmmakers should check out this family of film festivals. Brightside Tavern in Jersey City, Hang On to Your Shorts in Asbury Park, Point Lookout on Long Island, and In the Cut in Bloomfield, New Jersey. I am an alum of these festivals, and I found them to be very enjoyable and well-run events. Submission information for filmmakers, as well as details about the festivals generally, can be found at filmfreeway.com. Follow the festivals on social media for news and updates about events, discounts, ticketing information, and more. Also, be sure to listen to the Hang On To Your Shorts and Cullen On Film podcasts available via a shared universe network. A great friend of this show is one of our regular guests, Justin DeVoe. In recent years, Justin has embarked on a truly remarkable fitness journey, which you can see for yourself on Instagram at Lobo. And if you're looking for guidance in starting or continuing your own fitness journey, check out at Iron and Honor on Instagram. Flat Squirrel Productions is an affiliate of BCW Supplies, the next time you need to restock on comic book bags, boards, boxes, and more, be sure to use promo code FSP for Flat Squirrel Productions to save 10% on your order. Again, that's promo code FSP. It helps support the show too. Thanks. And we're back. Though I, I got to tell you, the beating on the island was tough to stomach. Yeah, even hard. more so than I remembered. The closest I can sort of equate it to is 
when Batman and Superman fight and Batman v Superman and Batman smashing the sink over his head and, and going to stab him. But I, you know what? I couldn't put my finger on what it was about this that really troubled me. I mean, I wasn't, I don't want to go so far as to be like, oh man, I was so upset, but it was really hard to watch. And you know what I think it was? It wasn't even so much Lex because, you know, they have this animosity between them, but it was the goons. Yeah. Because they had no personal connection. It was so cold and detached and the way they were viciously beating him it was it was rough man what'd you think yeah it it's so much you said that they have no reason to hate him as much as lex might even um lana said it really well like she was thrown off by as we were watching it and just going oh gosh oh my gosh please stop and like she was saying that out, out loud and and she okay we all know it's a movie and we know how things are going to turn out but it was she's like oh just him crawling is so hard and i'm like but the whole island is making him weak like he can't escape all he can do is just crawl and hope that they'll stop beating him and she goes oh god it's so hard he's and he's so good and, but i'm like and again it's a 14 year old's opinion but as adults, we're feeling the same thing. You see Parker Posey can't keep it together. She's having a hard time with it. And and you even see Lex look at her like, what is your problem? Like, this is good, what's happening. She's like, no. Um, it, it's, it's very painful. And I think he does an incredible job, actually. Especially at the ledge when he, oh, when he gets stabbed by the shard and he snaps it off. Like, that, that whole sequence still gave me like uh it was it was a hard thing to watch again is it fair to call that because this is the way i've been thinking of it as the crucifixion scene oh without a doubt i wasn't going to bring it up until you did but it's it's without a doubt another like walk to walking the cross to the edge kind of deal uh, uh, let's let's talk about that a little bit because yeah. I, and I you know yeah you can't ignore it with these movies and I feel like you know a lot of times the the biblical allusions are you know come up and yes are there instances where he's literally in the Christ pose after he you know pushes the island into space and he's falling back yeah there's stuff like that that's that's right there but yeah. there there are other instances and it, it's it's interesting because you know we've talked about this before with respect to Superman the movie how Superman the movie really gives you it's the Jesus story his father sends him to Earth. He's raised by a farmer, a la a carpenter, and we visit with him once during his adolescence, then he emerges in the world, and I feel like though this movie kind of takes it, kind of takes you to the next chapter and really kind of closes that thematic loop in a big way, because no, Superman doesn't literally die, but he comes real, real close, and that scene where he's being beaten and stabbed really felt like he was being crucified. It's that is being being somebody of faith and always, especially as we're coming close to Easter, I always like I was thinking about that even more and more as I was watching it. Hold on. Sorry. No, no. All good. Yeah. So it was very hard to watch when I put it into that context, too, um, because it's just when we had seen Passion of the Christ originally, too, like where you see visually the beating and even like the crown of thorns. I, I, I felt a lot of that same kind of hurt as I was watching this too. Same kind of like, Oh gosh, please make this stop. It's way too hard. It's too real. Basically they're, they're making it too real. 
Yeah, and it was also, to, you know, it's funny. It's hard to separate the fan from the, the film viewer because watching it, right. it's like he doesn't fight back. He can't, you know, he can't, except he grabs he Lex's leg at one point when Lex goes to kick him. But other than that, that's, and I remember watching it, it's like, can't you throw a punch, you know, but, but that, you know, that's not what this was about. And I can respect that. I actually do want right. to ask you, especially since you are someone of faith and this came up, I had a, I had a pastor on the show a while back and we talked mm -hmm. about Superman for tomorrow. And I asked this question of him and I'll pose it to you too. When you see stories like this, that so clearly are pulling on those biblical comparisons, is it something that, again, I know in that specific instance, it's tough to watch I think for all of yeah. us, but generally speaking, is it something that you do you appreciate, do you enjoy, do you feel it's almost sacrilege? Like, where do you fall on that? I don't ever find offense or sacrilege because the Bible stories are some of the oldest stories ever. Um, we're talking about thousands of years. Um, and it's really, if you, if you want to just go to the bare bones of it, the reason I'm not offended by it is because the concept of who Jesus was is a hero story within itself. Like that, like he, he didn't want to be the hero, but he knew he needed to be. He still took the beating. He still dies. But then as the hero emerges, he comes back and, and gives us all life and gives us all hope. So tell me that doesn't sound familiar. Like, so I, I think that I'm never offended because all the stories we love, whether it's Harry Potter, whether it is Superman, whether it's Star Wars, like these are all just good stories about good versus evil, hero versus the villain, and ultimately light beating dark, hope being given to the weak. So no, never, never in a million years will I ever find sacrilege in it because I think it's honoring the great, one of the greatest stories ever told. Right on. And you know, I also think about what Pastor Craig said when I had him on for that episode a while back, and it's been a little while, I'm paraphrasing, but the gist of it was that people look for God in yes. in their mythologies, in their stories. So it's it's a natural, uh, you know, progression that you would see it in things like this. And, you know, that crucifixion scene, as it were, in the movies is definitely mm -hmm. a clear example. The one other piece that really stands to mind, that stands out, Certainly is Superman, you know, floating above the earth and hearing everything, but even more particularly when he's speaking to Lois, when they're having their flight. Yeah. And this is, is it my favorite line in the movie? It might be. Where he says, you wrote that the world doesn't need a savior, but every day I hear people crying out for one. Yeah. And that's the thing. It's like, you know, are people quote unquote, literally you know, praying to him? Not quite, but pretty close. Well, and... I think the hard thing is that I think about is, which again, most fans of superheroes or comic books have this thought in their head a lot. What would it be like if Superman was real? And the question is, to me, it's not about how, would, how cool would it be if we had Superman that could do these things? I would actually be more interested in how can Superman do all these things? Because how much pain would he feel that he can't do everything all the time? And whether you whether you see on Superman and Lois or Smallville, there was always the discussion of he can't help people 24-7. He has to still have a life so that he has energy and care for his own people in his life so that he can pour it back out. So my concern has always been just what he's talking about, like, 
there's people crying out and I can't, I can't do it all, but nevertheless, they're still crying out and I hear them. So I'd be more worried about Superman's heart dealing with that pain all the time. Not the fact that he can fly or move buildings, but the fact that he really needs a therapist. <laughs> like, like it's, it's going to be, that'd be terrible. Right. Yeah, for sure. This is a, a total non sequitur, but I don't want to forget. And we were talking about him being beaten and he is then rescued by right. Lois and, and Richard. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's funny because I've, I have watched the movie since that 2006 viewing, you know, I watched it in the mm -hmm. theater and then I, I rewatched it when it came out on DVD, like right after, and I've watched it at least once or twice since then. I would have sworn that Richard White died in this movie. And as I was watching this the other night, I'm like, when does he die? <laughs> like, and even when like they nope. made it back to the planet, I was like, what? does he go <clears throat> back out there? on that plane? <laughs> I was like, yeah. there's no way this guy makes it out of the movie alive. I had, I really forgot. I'm so, and, well, I was a genuine, I was genuinely surprised. I'm like this guy made it out of the movie alive. Well, not only made it out of the movie alive, but he's the reason Superman lives. Hero of the story. Like he really is. And honestly, we, the sad thing is us behind the fourth wall. No, uh-oh, that kid, that kid ain't his. Like, and he's still, he's got this weird feeling. You could tell that he's got a feeling that there's something more between Lois and Superman, obviously. She's still, she will always love him no matter what, even though they're married. But he still is, he loves her that much and knows that he loves the world that much that he will turn the plane around and go and he will jump in the water. Like, so like, that's hilarious though. Cause you're like, wait, how'd that guy live? That's pretty impressive. He saves the whole freaking movie. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I love James Marsden to begin with, but I do too. You know, this character was terrific and I love the moment where he shows up on the sinking ship to rescue Lois and Jason. She's like, how'd you get here? I flew. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It was great. <laughs> now, unfortunately, I think that that leads to one of the, unfortunate looks on Clark and Superman in this movie. Yeah. Right from the jump. Like when Clark meets him and I, I guess is it Lois who says that Richard likes horror movies or something like that. And, and Clark is like, Ooh, it, you know, it's funny in that moment, but it's like, it's just instantly this slight, but a little bit of a put down towards this guy. And, you know, not long thereafter, we have this very intimate rooftop moment and flight between Superman and Lois, this almost kiss. And it just felt like, you know, it would have been one thing if we saw Richard or Clark saw Richard putting Lois down or being rough with right. her, but it's like something. Uh, but you know, this, this is a good, this is a good man and yes. he's done nothing to, to prove otherwise. And so yep. I feel like Clark's behavior toward Lois, is disrespectful to Lois and to Richard. And I don't love yeah. that look on the character. No. And I, I you don't usually see because there hasn't really been a reason for Clark to ever be jealous, even in the comics, maybe a few times, but even like, okay, we talked about Jose, Jose Delgado. Way right, back. right, right. Don't forget at that point, I don't believe Clark was even fawning over Lois. He was, I believe at that point, fawning over one woman. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So there was no reason to be jealous. So we've never really seen this shade on Clark. And I will tell you, I went into that movie and watching it every time I've watched it, wanting to hate James Marsden. And there's not a reason to not like his character. He's a good 
person. He's a good father. He's a kind man. He's a good husband. And he's very sweet to her, even when she's flighty and hard to deal with. He's so good to her. Um, so, yeah, like, you're kind of pissed at Clark. Like, no, dude, this you should know a good man when you see one. He's yeah. just mad that it's Lois. This is actually a good segue to one of the big picture questions I wanted to ask you, especially now as we arrive at the end of our Donnerverse event here, looking at <laughs> right. the, the works and influence of Richard Donner. So this movie gives us an actor who's the second coming of Christopher Reeve. We have the John Williams score. We have Marlon Brando. We have the crystal motif. It has all of the trappings of the Donnerverse. And I guess my question is, for you at least, did it also capture the essence of the Donner movie or was it more superficial? Ooh, that's a hard one. I didn't get a chance to think about that. I know. I'm putting you on the spot here. <laughs> yeah. I, I would say it probably leans more superficial because of so many things that are taken like directly it wasn't just tone it was sometimes line for line sometimes shot for shot so even at the end i'm going oh no they're not going to do the 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 you know the fly away from the building and he kind of has his arms behind him he's got his arms in front then behind then he moves off and he smiles at the camera i was like oh no he did exactly the same shot so I, it's weird to say that I liked it because it reminded me of the Donnerverse, but I didn't like it because it wasn't. Does that make sense? Yeah. I, I, I don't know that I necessarily have a great answer to this myself, but it's something I've been thinking about. And all right, bear with me on this because this might seem like I'm talking out of both sides of my mouth, but I, I think there's a, there's yeah. a point here. Okay. So I've <laughs> talked about in other episodes how while I have a lot of affection for the first two Donner movies, one of the things that always made it a little hard for me to fully connect with it was what I perceive to be a lack of internal tension. It's not that there's none. There are moments of it when Clark's at Jonathan's grave and then later when Lois dies and he's got the voices of both fathers in his head. Right. So it's there, but it's not driving the movie. Like I said, I think that those, those movies, and the first one in particular, is really the journey. Superman too, you know, you do definitely get that tension of do I live as a man or do I continue as Superman? So there, there is that, but there, there's a lot going on in Superman too. And we already talked about it in a prior episode, so I'll <laughs> leave it there. But so that's always been somewhat of a criticism of mine. It's, I am less critical of it now because I've sort of accepted the fact, and I've said this in the prior episodes, that the Donner Superman to me, I, I see now as a God living among men as opposed to a man with the power of a God. And that sort of, just flip my perspective on it. It made me more okay with, with that version. So in a sense, looking at the, the Brandon Routh version of the character, this is a character who has more going on inside. So for me, I actually don't mind that. Yet at yeah. the same time, I don't know that that quite lines up to the Christopher Reeve Superman. And that's sort of the, what I'm wrestling with, where it's like, I appreciate, actually appreciate that this guy's having a little bit of a hard time, but I don't think that that's really, and so that's why I can see why this movie didn't totally land for the pure, you know, the Donner purists or the Christopher Reeve purists. Right. I think that's, that's what we're referring to when we say 
it tries to do both and doesn't hit. So if you look, the other franchise that I forgot about that's happening at the same time is the Spider-Man franchise. Yeah. So that's the other between the X-Men and the Spider-Man talk about seeing internal tension in those characters. Like, I think we are seeing that. And like you said, Batman begins, we're kind of to see that happen in superhero characterizations more. And for those that are playing digging for kryptonite bingo out there, we'll refer to the Snyderverse quickly. <laughs> um, but that was really what brought us to Zack Snyder's version. When he's when when you do see the man who has the powers of a god. So I think again, this is a perfect example of one foot in the Donnerverse, one foot in the 21st century moving forward. I I personally like the 21st century take on that. I personally like the internal strife and that, what do I do with this? I have all these powers, but I still couldn't save him. That That is an important, that is a very modern line from a very old movie. Yes, yes. Oh, it's so funny that you mentioned Spider-Man. I'm going to be thinking about that later, later mm-hmm. because I never really put two and two together as I think is clear from listening to this podcast, my heart of course is with Superman, but it's with DC generally, but on the Marvel side, Spider-Man's my favorite character and I love yeah. those Sam Raimi movies. And oh yeah, I don't know that I had ever really made that connection, but thinking about where I was at that point in time as a teenager and not only watching those Spider-Man movies, but watching Smallville and both of them dealing with a lot of those same issues. Yeah. Those were incredibly formative. So yeah, I'm going to ha- kind of have that in the back of my mind moving forward i know it's, it's funny because we were we both kind of started by saying you know we like this movie more than oh yeah, yeah more than before and i feel like we we're focusing on the, the negatives there's there is a lot of good stuff i thought the the plane the plane save was exhilarating it was a terrific oh, sequence that is and that is one of the best best film sequence of the whole movie and i will say too it is i think it does not look very cgi i think it is done so well and that's actually something brian singer has always done in his movies where it's hard to spot some cgi stuff the way he cuts and edits whoever's doing that editing job with him my goodness it's hot it's so right on point all right so on that note perfect perfect jumping off point though all the behind the scenes stuff that i watched Mm -hmm. and you know it's funny because where we are at this point in time uh, spider-man no way home is out and now it's out on digital and yeah very recently, as of this recording, there's a, a video making the round showing sort of the behind the scenes of the special effects and how little, how few shots in the movie actually had no special effects. Yeah. Watching the Superman stuff, there was so much that they actually did practically. Oh, yeah. And stuff like, you know, when young Clark, we get the flashback of young Clark on the farm. They wires. had that kid in wires. Oh, yeah. Jumping around. So things like the Daily Planet Globe, that was fully... CGI, although when Superman catches it and lowers that's, that's, it, that's legit. The part of yep. it is right, yeah. like the base, the of bottom it half. Yep. yep, yeah. So, uh, yeah, you you really you really do appreciate that. A, f- a quick funny side note: uh, one of the guys at the comic shop, we joked about this for years. Uh, whenever he would rewatch Superman Returns, he would basically only rewatch that plane sequence, but. In his mind, he felt like he watched the whole movie. So a lot of times he'd be like, "Oh, like I, I rewatched Superman Returns." I'm like, "The whole thing." He's like, "No, the plane." He's like, "The plane too." But the movie's great. I'm like, "You're only watching the best part of it." <laughs> you know what? What Lana, Lana, I love watching it with my kids because 
It's so interesting that younger viewers now, we, we think that they're young, but they're much more critical and paying attention than we realize. So when he grabs the plane, Lana goes like, why would you grab the wing? <laughs> That's what Steph said. She said the same thing. <laughs> She's, she's like, that wing, there's no way that's going to hold the weight of the plane. <laughs> but then she did really love, which I've always loved from day one I saw that movie, is when he catches it at the very, very end. And you see all of the metal buckle. Yeah. And you see the metal ripple because all of the weight. He's It's just one little dude. Like, I... I love that. And Lana was like, that was awesome. Like those things. I love when my 14 year old goes, uh, yeah, that's on point. <laughs> it's just cool. It's a, it's such a great sequence. Oh, actually. So big picture here. It's a beautiful looking movie. Oh, the movie's time. gorgeous. Yeah. And you know, mentioning the daily planet globe when Lois and Superman are flying in front of that globe. Yeah. I mean, there's some, there's some gorgeous, gorgeous shots and even stuff going back to doing this practically when, Clark, after he's returned to Earth, is walking the farm, like as the sun oh, is as the sun is rising. The lighting is gorgeous. Everything you know, and they waited because that's in the documentary. Like they yeah. waited for the so-called magic hour to get that. Yeah. It wasn't a blue screen that they then you know inserted. So I do appreciate that. And and the other thing too, to this movie's credit, I feel like you know one of the criticisms. Well, I, I addressed this earlier, and I guess I shared in this for a while was that there was this lack of action, right? Mm-hmm. You know, watching it now, look, does he punch anybody? No, but I think the movie actually does a really nice job of showcasing his powers. There are yes. oh, the bullet time. to the eyeball. It's amazing. It's awesome. That's such a great scene. There were, I feel like there are little, little feats that Superman does that you go, oh, why would you mess with this guy? Like he's, he's super powerful. Even just the homage to your shirt. Um, just like him putting the car down that way. I mean, those little touches, I love those kind of things. I would much rather have moments done well than a fight sequence for the sake of a fight sequence. It's like a crappy car chase just because you think that's part of the formula of a movie. Like, oh, it's an action movie. We have to have a car chase. My wife falls asleep in a car chase every single time we watch a movie like that. So it's not a good formula. So I would much rather... I, I, I love the scope of the movie from a understanding what Superman can do and who he is. And I would rather have that. I would rather not sacrifice that for the sake of a fight sequence that we missed. Yes. Does that, does that track? Yep. Totally. Yeah. And you know, so the bullet to the eye is great. The, like you said, the catching the car, a la action number one, catching the daily yep. planet globe, lifting the landmass. Again, I know that got a lot of flack. Like oh, all he did was lift stuff, but <laughs> it's a path. The guy's dying here. This is his last act to save the world. And, you know, it's, there's this meme that I'm sure you've you've seen, I'm sure listeners have seen, that kind of puts Superman Returns and Man of Steel side by side. And it basically yeah. shows how you really can't please people because they it lists the criticisms oh. of each one. It's like, too yes. much like Donner, not enough like Donner, not enough action, too much action. So it's like, you know, yeah. you want. No death kills everyone. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, you know, you look at Superman Returns and there's this huge landmass and you know what? I was going to say no one dies, but that's not the case. Nope. And that actually nope. brings me to another point. Yeah. I so I almost forgot this and I'm so glad I didn't. See, we the do goons. This, the goons. Okay. All right. Listen, I'm going to try. All right. Listen, I'm really going to try. I'm not going to go nuts here. I'm not going to go nuts here on a Man of Steel kick, but 
But we know how people feel about the Zod uh, next snap. Yet in Superman Returns, when Superman starts lifting that island, this huge column comes crashing down and kills like three of Luther's goons. Only Luther and Kitty make it out. Yep. Now, in terms of how urgent the situation is, how weak Superman is, and also the near killing that they almost gave him, I don't expect him to try to save these people. However, just for the record, he doesn't. There's no effort to evacuate this island. They're collateral damage, and he doesn't think twice about it. It calls to mind Superman 2, where the three powerless Kryptonian villains seemingly fall to their deaths. And I know you're listening to this right now, and you're like, no, there's the deleted scene where the Arctic police cart them off. It ain't in the movie. So as far as I'm concerned, that's not canon. And I I say all of that because I'm okay. You know, it's fine, but it's just funny to me that people don't think twice about this, like, casual disregard for these deaths. Yet this death in Man of Steel that he clearly feels in a very painful way. People are like, ah, oh, it's too far. It's like, look at these other movies. Like, there's other stuff yeah. going on here. Anyway, that's it. Nope, it's okay. <laughs> it's all right. That, that's listen. You, that is <sighs> that is exactly where my brain is. Because sometimes, guess what? Is he gonna stop lifting the island, or is he gonna? What's he gonna do with those people? Put like cram quickly with super in the helicopter and throw the helicopter into the ocean and then he lifts the island no there's collateral damage just because he didn't kill them doesn't mean he didn't kill them <laughs> yeah and like i said and i like they didn't have it coming but just yeah. you know just for the record there so uh what were i i, I do have some other criticisms i suppose but interesting okay. story choices that i want to talk about but yeah. what what were the other sequences scenes moments or lines that you really loved about this movie oh gosh okay i'm trying to think hold on well let me let, let, can i talk about aspects of the movie that yeah really yeah sure loved? man all right i thought the sound was incredible um i love I, again as a musician i'm always i'm always looking as weird as it is i'm the guy that loves good sound editing so when you have dialogue versus effects versus music, when one of those is out of balance, it really drives me bananas. Um, oh, you probably hate nuts. Christopher Nolan's movies, then, huh? Oh my gosh, <laughs> I, I, I don't, I don't understand. Why is every time he goes wow really loud, but then I can't understand what Alfred is saying? <laughs> like I know it's Michael Caine, but still. <laughs> um, but the editing was so good, and again, nothing felt off it was very smooth and i've noticed that of all of brian singer's movies like x-men every mutant effect like cyclops beams were never too much but it was always powerful enough i felt that again i think john debney's score mixed in with john williams oh john ottman stuff. oh john ottman sorry yeah, yeah. yeah different different composer um really did a great job where like you heard like nods of the hat to the John Williams stuff, but it was very fresh. And like, even, okay. Uh, the, the, can you read my mind? Mm-hmm. Um, he, okay. Just for those not realizing I'm a band director. I'm a musician. I know about chords. So there were chords that sometimes resolved in a different major or minor that they didn't in the original John Williams that he shifted it where, 
and it shifted instead of the regular resolve and i was like oh and it and even the way can you read my mind grew as a melody was really pretty again i'm a musician i'm going to notice that more than most people but it it really sat with me like oh that was a very nice way to honor but i think do a nice job of making it something he could be proud of as, as a composer himself and and moving us into the future so that's that's one side of things i i, I really enjoyed in general the tone of the movie I will be perfectly honest with you, even though we've talked a lot tonight about what, like, well, what world is it living in? Is it living in the Donner world or the modern 21st century world? I guess I like the tone of the movie that tries to be modern. I prefer that where I am right now in life and, and, and now watching it now, I guess it's probably like maybe four or five times over the course of its creation. I think I really do like what they were trying to do. And I really am sad they didn't give it one more try. I, I'm sad they didn't give it a second movie. A lot of people were speculating that that Brainiac might have been the next thing that came through. Um, it would have made more sense, especially with they really should have started with that with the Kryptonian connection. But I, I love the tone that they were going for, and I was like, "Ooh, I wonder." And then poor Brandon Ralph, he was like the last person to find out that they weren't making another one, which made me really sad about Warner Brothers too. But the, I think Anthony from a, a, I think what I would say is my appreciation of the tone that they were trying to create from a modern sense. I really enjoyed that, man. That, that, that stuck with me. Right on. Jumping back to the, the music, you said it perfectly. I don't have much to add other than, I know I've been saying, oh, it utilizes the John Williams theme, and yes, that's there, but it is its own score, and I've been listening to it on its own yep. after enjoying it so much in the movie, and it is great. And John Hotman not only composed the score for this, he was also the editor of the film. Oh, really? Yes. Very unusual. That I did not know. I think it wow. had, I want to say it had two editors, if I'm remembering the credits yeah. correctly, but he was one of them. So that's kind of a cool, a cool note. Yeah, to your other point, I... I for the tone, yeah. I mean, I think in terms of what it was trying to honor while also trying to be a modern movie, I think the tone works. I agree with you. It would have been it would have been interesting to either see a sequel or have seen Brainiac in lieu of Lex. And given that yeah. I know we've been you know, maybe questioning story choices, uh, generally speaking, but clearly the Lex piece of it, I think, was the the, the aspect of it that didn't work the most mm -hmm. for us. Yeah. And I wonder, had it been Brainiac instead of Lex, and most of the rest of the movie had remained the same, how this movie would have been received, and maybe we would have gotten a sequel. You know, I would have, it would have, I feel like it it would have hit differently. Yeah, I, um... I'm sad because a lot of so the movie budget was I think 270 million. The movie itself made I believe 300 or 320, which by any stretch is still a lot of money for a movie. I think they were still expecting it to make like almost a billion dollars because it was the first time in 15 years. I still think it's sad they were carrying the weight of previous projects. Yeah. I think we're, pay we're, we're paying for two other failed projects. And they kind of went, no, we, we probably should have made 150 profit, but we only made 50 million profits. So let's put it in the, let's put it in the vaults and just, and just move on to the next thing. And, and they put their chips into the Batman um, franchise, which they needed to do. 
Sure. And it's 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 this weird thing where this movie clearly obviously was meant to restart the franchise, yet it ended up being this coda to mm-hmm. the Donner movies. And so again, I guess again we sort of circle back to that idea of of how well it succeeds in that respect. And one thing I know we talked about Jason, the fact that yeah. Superman has fathered this yeah, child. we haven't talked about that yet. Yeah, and yeah, there's there's a lot to get into there. I will say that I I do lo- I did enjoy Superman repeating the words that Jor El had imparted to him about the son becomes the father, the father the son. I felt like that too closed a bit of a, a thematic I, loop. It didn't work for you. I'd like to talk to you about that soon. So finish your thought, and then I, I'd like to ask you a question about that. Okay, no, no, no you go ahead. What I've I meant to do it before we got on the podcast and I, I I should have done a deep dive. I'm not sure I fully understand that line. <laughs> okay. Here's what's so funny for our audience. Okay. So uh, Ken and I had a, had a, had a, we talked about <laughs> oh, this. Oh, I'm sorry. Did no, no, you no. talk about this? Okay. You based on when we're recording this, the episode's not out yet. So you would have had mm. no opportunity to listen to this <laughs> for our audience. They've like, hopefully have heard this unless maybe you, you know, skip the, the, that episode. You're a big Bernie fan and you just came in for this part. Which I, listen, I understand, <laughs> yeah, man. I, sure. I get it. I get it. Listen, you got that big, oh yeah, comic Skokie following. They probably yeah, do yeah. just follow your episodes. I understand. <laughs> but Ken asked me the same thing. And I, you know, I don't, I don't mean to, to, I don't purport to be an authority on the meaning behind this line. And what I said in that episode, and I'll recap just briefly, is that I do think it is open to interpretation. I think you can find your own meaning in it. For myself, right. I guess it's this idea that the son, right? In this case, Kal-El is the son of Jor-El and now he right. has a son. So the son has become the father and the father becomes the son. You pass on your, I mean, literally your genetics to your child, but also yeah. you live on through your child. And maybe there's something more meaningful. Maybe there's something different that someone else might say, hey, I think it means this. But I think at a basic level and in a way that certainly works in, in, in keeping with this movie, that's sort of the way I look at it. Yeah, and I... And- and I've kind of gone through my head. I came to that conclusion myself, but it doesn't always seem clear. It's more, I think it's more poetic. Yes. Than it is clear, unfortunately. Yeah. But, um, okay. So Jason mm-hmm. one, I love that kid. I thought that kid did a nice job. I don't think he was, I don't think he was the kind of kid that you wanted to smack and say like, don't put him on the screen anymore. He's obnoxious. He was sweet. And like a little feeble at times. Like he, he came off as a little weak at first, just like very quiet, very like um, shy. But then there's that realization when he, when the piano gets thrown across the boat, which is really, that's a great scene. That's a pretty solid scene. And it does jar you because you're wondering, is this really like, eh, I wonder. And it was a great way to go. Yeah, he is. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, that was another thing, though, that made me go, I wonder if there was a second movie, how we would approach Superman's relationship with the kid. And then how would that get in the way of Richard and Lois? That, that's, that to me was wondering, okay, that could have created some really cool drama. And, and how do we approach that as a writer? And, and even just a canonical continuity, like of how do we start to deal with that? Like, do we see even more shades of Clark that we really don't like? you know, based on what we saw earlier that we were talking about. 
And one of the other criticisms of this movie, a big criticism, was the quote-unquote super stalking. He uses his x-ray vision and super hearing to spy on Lois and Richard. It's, again, not a great look. Right. In the context of it, do you sort of get it? Maybe to an extent. I mean, I'll say to the character's credit, he he stops himself at a certain point. But It, it goes past, see, again, like you said really well, there's nothing that Richard does or says that should make Clark concerned. So we're past concern and we're into the land of curious and, to, and that's not good. Like that's when he's, that's, that's not a good Superman would not be doing that. He should be going, you know what? He's a good man. I've not, I haven't seen anything that showed me otherwise he's being sneaky basically. And that's what I don't love. And I don't think it's meant to be coming off that way, but I, I don't think Brian meant, to do that in the in the script i think but it does come off as a little every breath you take kind of <laughs> that's yeah. the way it plays and okay here's a big problem that i had with the movie and this might sound kind of nitpicky but i think it's justified as a sequel to superman 2 yeah. this raises a huge problem mm-hmm. and it's a problem regardless of which cut you're dealing with so in the theatrical cut of Superman 2, Clark kisses Lois and erases her memory right. of his identity. So what the hell does Lois think happened that left her with a son fathered by Superman? In the Donner cut of Superman 2, <laughs> he reverses time. So none of it ever happens. So that just falls completely falls apart. Now, here's where you might say, hey, you're being nitpicky. Maybe there's more stuff that happened after that we didn't get to see. Here's the problem. The whole point of Superman 2, whether you like it or not, is that unlike the modern Superman comics, unlike Superman and Lois, unlike a lot of what we've seen recently. They don't know. This Donner, (laughs) but this, the, the Donner Superman cannot be Superman and have a romantic entanglement. It's one or the other. The movie clearly establishes that, and he makes his choice by the end of it. And so the idea that the Superman of Superman 2 would have gone through all of that and then knocked up Lois, it does not track. Well, and it's a little... Okay, and this... I never got... I never thought of it this way, but it comes off a little skeevy because... So if Superman's realized he can't be with Lois in a way that she fully knows him as Clark. Do they have a hookup as just Superman and Lois? So that I've never really thought of it that way. And that is a little interesting. And I think what they meant to be sweet and romantic doesn't quite land, especially if you watch it now. Yes. And I, especially in our world now, that's the hard thing. Yeah. And I feel like, maybe even Singer himself or the screenwriters would, they would probably say, look, we're not meaning for Superman returns to be a literal sequel. It's just sort of the, I, I, if I remember correctly, I feel like the interviews at the time, it was like, like it's a vague backstory sort of thing. And it's like, okay, but you've pulled enough in that it really feels like it. And so I've always, that's always, always bugged me about it. And part of me is like, oh, like don't nitpick, but it's, I feel like it's a valid, it's a valid criticism. And so that I've never been able to, to get past. So two more things. Yeah. And I don't know how to say, how are we doing? Oh, we're good. Too bad. Man, listen, we're at an hour and 20 minutes for digging for kryptonite. This is, this is short. We got a long is, way to go. 
This is great, baby. We, should, we can easily fill 40 more minutes. <laughs> um, okay. Let's talk about how awesome the crystals look in this movie. Yeah. That was another thing from a special effects standpoint. You could tell, obviously, CGI, but it's done so well. And let's talk first about the deleted scene that if if you're at home and you're curious, just type in opening Krypton Superman Returns deleted into YouTube and it's going to show up. And it's actually a great quality cut put onto YouTube that you can see. Um, as an opening scene, I would have been more confused if they kept that as the opening scene because I, unless... <laughs> Unless they had more text to explain it. <laughs> um, it just looks so beautiful. It, it, from a, a visual aesthetic, you've got, it's kind of cool. Like it's a floating crystal ship that he's flying through space. And it just looked incredible. It was like the baby crystal ship, but now it looks like a badass um, thing. You can actually fly and check out the ruins of Krypton. The crystals in general looked gorgeous and how they always grew throughout this movie. They didn't raise, they they like emerged from the ground. That to me always struck me as a really nice modern touch to what they couldn't do in the first movies. For sure. I think it was a major misstep and I don't know if this was Singer's Choice or the studios, but I think cutting that scene was a, was a big mistake. Yeah. What's interesting, you mentioned that you would have still been lost you know, just jumping right into that. I, your point is well taken. It's funny because that documentary that I watched on the behind the scenes, it had what, and I, I could just be making this up, but it had at the beginning of it what I think might have made it into the movie. It headlines that were kind of like splashing across the screen. Oh. Like where, ha like astronomers find, you know, uh, signs of life on Krypton. Where has Superman gone? One year without Superman. Superman, two years gone. And I feel like if they, I feel like this is the editor in me. There could have been a really cool way to sort of, you know, intercut some of those headlines with his journey through space with some of the Jor-El voiceover. There could have been a really cool way to explain to people astronomers have found something out there. Superman has left earth to go investigate the remains of Krypton. He's been gone five years. There's, there's a really easy way to do it. And it's another deleted scene that they already showed us. So there's the stack of newspapers yep. that are in the barn. You could have started the movie like on the barn with Ma Kent bringing a newspaper. She's, 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 she's eating, she's eating breakfast looking at the window, just looking longingly out the window, finishes it, folds it, walks it out, and puts it on a pile of many stacks of paper. And the top pile has one that says Superman, Superman gone for five years. And so it would be an easy way to show he's been gone. Ma Kent is now introduced. like it's, And then it bridges from that to where's he been? And that would be an easy way to sell that without, without like telling us <laughs> exactly, but telling us, I want to circle back to the newspaper. Cause that, that there's a, a, a bigger point I want to make about that. Mm -hmm. I'm glad you brought that up, but uh, it's a cool scene. The thing with, with Krypton, why I think it should have stayed. We, you know, we can talk about whether or not the movie succeeded or failed by trying to replicate the structure of Superman, the movie. Right. But clearly that's what it was going for. And I feel like by nixing the Krypton part, you miss a key portion. And they 
tried to get around that by that little snippet at the beginning of the Krypton yeah. exterior and the Jor-El voice. But that was, you know, that was just like, uh, you know, more, more perfunctory. There wasn't the substance there to it. Yeah. So I feel like if you really want to recreate the framework of Superman, the movie, you start on Krypton and this is the flip on it. This is not right. Kal-El leaving Krypton. It's Kal-El going back to Krypton. Also double meaning of Superman returns in a way. Yeah, that's great. The other thing too, is that, you know, you look at Superman, the movie and you think what a, what a, an awesome shot it was when we go through the eye of Jor-El and we see Christopher Reeve in the costume for the first time. That's his debut. And it's like, damn, there he is. There's Superman. Yeah. Brandon Routh sadly doesn't get a moment like that, but in that Krypton sequence, not quite to the level of Superman of Superman the oh, movie. But yeah, when he comes out, when he comes out, and you just kind of see, I think it's like the profile, and you see the little the side of the spit curl, and it's like, mm -hmm. oh, like it's it's something majestic about it. What's very confusing, and if you're if you are not bananas about the merchandise like I was, if you remember when the toys came out, there is a figure of him in all like white and gray. And I was kind of like, where the heck was that in the movie? That's where it was. Yeah. Like that, that's the only time he's in that cut. Like, cause even when he like passes out into Ma's arms, it's not that suit. It's dark. If he's in a darker suit, it's not the white gray kind of look. I always but, took that to be more of a lighting thing, but yeah, maybe, it, maybe he did even change, uh, change costumes along the way. Yeah. But yeah. Um, Newspapers. What do you want to say about that? Okay. So a larger, larger point about the movie. So I feel like the idea, like we talked about before, metatextually is, you know, is Superman still relevant to movie going audiences, right? The movie has to make the case for that. But Newspapers. within the context of the movie, it's also, yeah. is Superman still necessary right. in this world within the movie? And we have this article by Lois saying the world doesn't need Superman. And in the in the actual cut of the movie, there is that scene of Clark in the in the house, like flipping through mm -hmm. channels in Smallville, and he's seeing all this right. unrest in the world. But I thought that the scene with the newspapers, the deleted scene, went even further. Right? You you, you clearly see Ma has been stockpiling all the Daily Planets for him since he's been gone, mm -hmm. and he uses the X-ray vision and and super speed to like scan through all of them. And it reinforces what he will later see on the television of basically the world's gone to hell in a lot of ways since he's yeah. been gone. And so it, it raises this, these questions of it's like, does he feel guilt over having left? Will the world welcome him back? And it raises that. And again, that coupled with Lois's article, like it really does create this question of like, oh, will, will the world welcome him? And look, you and the audience know, I, I love that aspect of the Snyderverse where it's like the world is very mixed at best towards yeah. this idea of a Superman. And so I feel like there was so much potential that ultimately went nowhere. I mean, we really just see the people, at most there's like a moment of hesitation where they kind of look at him and then it's like instant cheering. Yeah. And I feel like all of all of that that I was, I was just alluding to, it ultimately all really just gets filtered into Lois. Like Lois is ultimately the representative of the person who isn't sure if they really want him back. But the problem with that is that for Lois, it's personal, it's emotional. I feel like there was a larger, more interesting story that they could have told about, you know, what happens in the world when this guy mm -hmm. who everyone has relied on has, has gone and all this other stuff has happened and now he's back. Like, what happens? That really would have been an interesting story. Yeah, because you really don't get a sense. I mean, you don't really have any people that are outwardly 
now now that he's back saving people and even like Parker Posey in the car, he does that. They're more in awe and they're paying attention. They're they seem okay. They're not they're not scared. They're not fearful because like who knows where he's been for five years? Who knows who he turned into? What he came back as? You know that kind of stuff. But I would agree there wasn't if they addressed it just a little bit, that would have been fine. But it is. I think they missed a mark on that one. Now, something that I'm curious on your take, and, and you can disagree with me, but I, there's two things. I don't feel that I think the Superman Returns did a lot to allow Man of Steel to get made. I think there were, I think it was a good stepping stone for Zach to then make that next movie. The big complaint that I've always had about the Superman Zack Snyder universe, I wish that the coloring from Brian Singer's, which by the way, is not Richard Donner. Right. I feel like it is a perfect happy medium between the colors that Metropolis would offer, the coloring that Superman himself offers. I think if we had a little more of that in the Snyderverse, the tone could have shifted a little bit that maybe wouldn't have allowed so much animosity because it just felt so gray and somber to people. For those judgment kind of people, they're automatically going in, why is this a dark movie? It looks gray. Like So I've always criticized Man of Steel for that. And I wondered if there was something, if there's a reason he went that route where everything looks very um, dark toned so i'm kieran and you're the expert so i i wouldn't go that far but i i mean <laughs> you know that's a good question i mean i you know i i don't know other than that that was the style he chose i i, I don't know that i could really speak to more beyond that i don't disagree with you though as far as how people might have received it had it visually been a little bit brighter not saying that's necessarily what i would have been clamoring for but your point is right. very well taken but even more so man i totally agree that it Superman returns in its own way, paved the way for Man of Steel. It's funny to see how all of this stuff works together. We talked about the development hell of, of Superman lives and flyby right. and all that stuff. And so, like we said at the top, it's really easy to see how after all those years of nothing getting off the ground, this very successful director who's just been mm -hmm. doing the X-Men movies, who's like, hey, I got this take. We bring back the Donner version and it'll yeah. be very reverential and spiritual and romantic. Those are the words that that yeah. were thrown around a lot, why they would jump on that. And then when you see this movie not work, why that would open the door for someone to be like, look, we need to go in a different direction. Yet yeah. still, you know, not so far afield of, you know, the example I, was, I would go back to, and we talked about this in the Superman Lives episode, mm -hmm. not even so much Superman Lives, but Flyby, the J.J. Abrams attempt, where right. Krypton didn't explode, right. and Lex was yeah. this rogue Kryptonian agent. It's like, well, that's so oh, counter gosh. to the mythology. So, you know, you look at something like Man of Steel, it's like whatever deviations you might feel the movie takes, it's it's yeah. still ultimately relatively faithful. So you see how, you know, the the per either something not getting off the ground or something not performing well leads to leads to the next thing. It is fascinating. I really do think, too, it's interesting. I wonder... Let's just pretend that Superman Returns and the Christopher Nolan movies were not made. I wonder how the Zack Snyder movies would have been like would have been accepted if that was in a complete vacuum. If that was the first time we see Man of Steel since 1987, 
I don't think we don't have that option, but I just, I do think that both the Nolan films and Brian Singer's, I almost wonder if Snyder was going, let's find, like, can I find a happy medium between these two? Like, how can I do this? Cause you could see some of the grays of Nolan inside that too. Sure. Nolan was a producer on, on the Snyder yeah. movie. So yeah, you totally see that. We were talking about at least a couple of the deleted scenes. The, the Krypton sequence, of course, was the big one. But uh, were there other deleted scenes that really stood out to you? Oh, okay. This one I do love. Um, it's when Ma Kent has a boyfriend. Yeah. Good old That's ben one of my Hubbard. favorite ones. Yeah. yeah. Good old Ben Hubbard, who is a name we get from, I thought. Superman the movie. Is it, is it the first one? It's Superman the movie when they have that tearful goodbye out in the field and he's like, I oh, spoke right. to Ben That's Hubbard. Right. That's right. Thank you. you yeah. Know, yeah. Smallville mentions him too when, uh, well, yeah. And that's a classic character that James Karen, who's now passed, um, played Ben Hubbard and he was a great character actor. Um, I don't know if you were al alive when they had the old Pathmark commercials way back in the day mm. on the East Coast. Yeah, for this, like he was, he was the spokesperson for all those. Oh, interesting. Um, yeah, but he was in Poltergeist. He was in a number of 80s and 90s movies, and he was great to be Ben Hubbard. But I thought it was sweet how she's saying, like, what was it? It was something about time. Eventually, time moves on. Um, yeah, like, she still loves her, like, she still loves Pa, but it's been a long time since Pa's been gone. So I love that. And they were very sweet, you know, looking at tables and the whole, like, this table has sentimental value and like Clark had his name scratch into the bottom of it and that kind of stuff. If you're a listener and you like this movie, you haven't watched the deleted scenes. It's, it's worth watching. They're fun to watch. The deleted stuff is good. I mean, especially again, that opening Krypton sequence and the Smallville mm -hmm. scenes. I, I agree yes. with you. I, I wish they had kept the Ben Hubbard piece. It, you know, look, it's a nice little payoff to that mention of him in Superman, the movie, but it also shows like Martha has a life. Yeah. You know, for and you God's want sake. that for her. And for God's sake, the movie's already two hours and 36 minutes long. Like we couldn't have thrown in Krypton and a few, like we'll make it two forty-five. Who's nobody's going to walk out at that nine minutes. I think we're fine. And it's, it's a long movie though. It is. It is. I was surprised. I started it and Lana even said, she goes, this is a long movie. And I was like, it's okay. It's good. It goes fast. It's good. Yeah. And it did. Yeah. I wish the Hubbard scene had stayed. I wish the scene with the newspapers had stayed. There's more of Clark looking around his room when he wakes up and he sees photos of his parents and it's Glenn Ford from Superman, the movie. That was a sweet touch. I love that. Yeah. You know, that was really a nice touch. There's a, a you know, a, a comical moment where Clark realizes that Ben and Martha are dating. Yeah. What was interesting, you know, talking about sort of the blend of different incarnations of the character. You know, I talked about this in part one when we did Superman, the movie, and mm -hmm. people might disagree. And maybe they already have because the episode will be out by the time. <laughs> Obviously, right. this one goes out. But uh, <laughs> uh, going back to this whole idea of God, a God living among men, mm -hmm. as opposed to the, the modern version of the man with the powers of a God. In Superman, the movie, when Clark says goodbye to Martha and she says, remember us, always remember us. Right. It felt so final to me. Mm. And I know later in the movie, Clark asks for his half his paycheck to be sent there right. and everything. Right. But it's like, we never see him visit. And I'm sure people are like, no, of course he visits. It's just off screen. You don't see it. But I just can't shake this feeling that that was a very final goodbye. What, yeah. I mean, but what is your take on that generally? I mean, I, I know that's probably not like what actually would have happened, but it's just my gut. I, I don't know. I kind of go with the people that say he does in the background. I, I'll be honest. I go with them only because 
as much as we want to ignore Superman three, he does go back. He does go back there. That's a plot point. Sure. Um, there is that thought process is there in the eighties. Um, I do think the paycheck, um, just even how they call him a boy scout. And, and, and it's, it's still a connection to who he grew up as. I, I do think, I do think there's still more of a Smallville in him than we want to believe. They just don't show it well. Um, what I do love about all the incarnations, including the Smallville series and Superman and Lois, you can really see like, you know, how Annette O'Toole and John Schneider's characters made such a point to be like, don't like who you are from Smallville is who you, that's what will make you the hero you need to be. Like, remember who you really are. You're not an alien. You're born, you were born here, essentially. Um, it's, I mean, that's the version that I love. That's the character that I love. Oh, same here. And look, going back to the Donner movies, yeah, I, I, I'm sure Clark did visit Martha in his off time and we just didn't see it. But at the same time, even if that's the case, how do I put this? It's what you show or not show is a choice. And so it's right. like you never get a scene in the Donner movies of adult Clark hanging out at the farm for whatever, yeah. whether it was for time or whatever the case, but that's a choice that's made. And so just right off the bat, the fact that he has this moment with Clark as an adult, it's just like a little different spin on it. It definitely felt between that and the flashback to teenage Clark discovering his powers. It felt very much informed by Smallville that we were very much in the midst of at that time. So it's just yeah. interesting to me. Which that I really appreciated it. I mean, I think that's because we were watching Smallville at the same time. I think that's why we really did enjoy all that part. We're like, oh, good. They're, they're course correcting. I felt that was a smart move on their point. In terms of the aesthetic, I, I feel like one of the criticisms was always that the movie was a bit, you know, again, not, not the same criticism that was levied against the Snyderverse, but that the Singer movie was a bit on the dull side visually in terms of the, you know, the, just the overall aesthetic. And they talk about that in that, in that documentary of how they went for more neutral earth tones because they wanted superman's costume to pop even though his costume itself had a more muted darker you know blue and red right so i actually wanted to get your take on i guess we could do this in two parts your take on the costume because it did have the darker colors and it did have the smaller s and the smaller trunks what did you think of the costume i don't love the small s it always to me because brandon ralph has very broad shoulders um so it looked automatically disproportionate it just looked too small. Um, so just pause for one second about that too. I also like, I don't feel like Brandon Ralph is a very fit man in this movie. I don't think the costume lent to that well. I feel like, I don't think they needed to pad anything, but I think just the way it might've been created a little bit. I actually really like the way the cape is though. Yeah. Um, I really dug the way the cape is. Um, the, if the S is a little bit larger, I think that could have been really cool. Um, what was the other thing you asked me? It was costume. No, that was it. And then I was going to ask you about your thoughts on the look of Metropolis, right? Because this, as oh. much as, like, that's the thing, as much as Singer pulled a lot from Donner, Donner filmed New York City in the 70s as Metropolis. Yes. That was Metropolis. So th I, this movie was filmed in Australia. It had a it was definitely less less distinct, less specific, I felt, than what we got before. I do kind of like, and if you go back and watch a few scenes, you'll notice 
almost everybody on the street is wearing uh, like like a black suit, very very dark uh, clothes. So like you said, it is like like Superman pops so well. I actually love that. I thought there's a there's a have you read American Alien the Superman? Yes. Okay, there's a great cover of of like that has all these people all wearing a Superman shirt and and he's hiding in there. Yeah, I like it. I like the opposite because it's it's so clear. It's like no no no. He's a Superman. He's not a regular man in a black suit. Like he is. He's supposed to stand out. I I know that was a choice, and I do I do like the choice actually. Yeah, you know, speaking of choices, like I love. I love 1970s New York as Metropolis in those Donner movies. It mm-hmm. really adds to the flavor of the film. But at the same time, I do I do understand and appreciate the decision to try to create something in terms of both Metropolis and just the movie in and of itself more timeless. And to its credit, yeah. you know, we're watching it. It's not 20 years old, but almost, like almost 20 oh, years old. It does yeah. not feel like it. No. That's something I did notice that I appreciated that it aged well. Yeah. I, I, if you, if you didn't tell me it was 2006, I wouldn't have guessed it. I, I I probably would have said early 2010s. Right. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Especially, but I don't know, actually. I mean, I, now I go back and forth though, because I feel like there's such a lack of CGI. So I wonder, I mean, there's still some things that even J.J. Abrams did some pretty incredible stuff with the new Star Wars that could have been CGI, but he chose to do it legit um, purposefully. And that made that a little more timeless, too. Um, but, yeah, that, that's a great point that you bring up, too, that it did not feel like a 2006 movie when you look at the other movies that came out at the same time. Yeah. And while we're talking about Metropolis and the Daily Planet, I got to say that though, even though it was, it, this was digital, but I love the globe and shout out to mm-hmm. uh, Zach from the real life Daily Planet. I know he appreciates the the globe in this movie as well. But yeah, yeah I thought I, I thought it was really cool. And you, you don't typically get that in, in the movies, especially like you don't no. really get that, you know, that that size and scope of the globe. So I thought that was well. Neat. And that was definitely a nod to the original the original movie because they made a very very big point about like flying past that and coming away from it and seeing that a lot there's a deleted scene that uh it spins something on the deleted scene i forget who does it but they spin either a baseball or something on the table and then it turns into the daily planet oh and yes oh I it's forget- i think clark on the farm I think yeah, it's it doesn't even the leaves. baseball. I think he puts the baseball on the table and spins it, and then that spinning baseball fades into the spinning globe yes. of Metropolis. It was a really nice touch. That should have stayed. That yep. really should have stayed. And you know what? The, the one more thing, just to say about the the Smallville sequence, just this idea of how the movie overall was humanizing him. I think more so than we we had gotten previously in the Donnerverse. He says to Martha, because, you know, it's funny, this all got cut, but Martha asks, like, well, what are you going to do? And he's like, well, I thought I would stay here and farm. <laughs> yeah. And she's like, no, you got to go back no, to the No, get out of here. And I, he says something. I got to, a boyfriend. <laughs> yeah, I know. She's like, this guy, I crap my style. You better get out of here. Get out of here. <laughs> but he says the line that he has made it into the trailers. Again, the scene got cut, but I remember mm. it distinctly in the trailer where he says, it's not easy for me living there, keeping secrets. 
And, uh, and I, I appreciated that. I, again, I, I wish a lot of that stuff had stayed. They were short scenes, but I thought they just kind of helped give more of a sense of where his head was, especially, and I always say this, when we're dealing with a Superman whose identity is not yet known, particularly by Lois, you really do have to show it because he's, he's not articulating it to anybody right. unless you have those scenes with Martha or Jonathan, if he's alive, you know, in particular. Otherwise, you just don't have those opportunities where he can truly just be himself. Yeah. Jumping back to Metropolis, what did you think of uh, Frank Langella and uh, Sam Huntington as Perry so funny. and you, Jimmy? You were, you were in my head because I, <laughs> I, was, I was thinking about like, who haven't we talked about yet? I actually really dug that them the, the staff as far as I didn't, I didn't want them to be Jackie Cooper and Mark McClure. Um, I think, I think Sam Huntington did a nice, like enough, like he was just a little annoying kid enough, but in a modern way. Um, I liked uh, Jack Larson as the bartender, which was cool. Yeah. It has a nod to the old. Um, I, I do. I like Frank Langella as an actor. I don't love him as Perry White only because I think he was, he was like too chill. Yes. Like he's like, even like when they're all there and he's like, go. (laughs) It was different. And it had, it had its own funny little, like get along little kitties kind of deal. I don't know, but Perry White's never, never in any medium been represented in that way. So I don't think it was a great choice. I I agree with, with to be honest with both of them, but even more so with Perry. They were they were fine. They yeah. were fine. I, I like Sam Huntington J- Jimmy more than uh, yeah. Langella's Perry, but they were solid. I didn't feel like oh man, they what a you know uh, they didn't do justice to the characters. I didn't feel like that, but I also didn't feel like oh these are my definitive Perry and Jimmy. I got to be honest because my wife and I have been in the midst of this Lois and Clark rewatch for our Patreon show. I really think Lane Smith on the Lois oh, yeah. and Clark show is my favorite Perry. He's solid. And it's a great, uh, again, he's not copying, but it, it feels like from a comic book standpoint, I feel that's a good representation of Perry White. He's got attitude, but he's also suave in certain ways. I love it. I'm glad you said that. I really do enjoy that. I got to rewatch that show, but <laughs> you know, that takes time. I, th- I feel like I- I'm going to, I got to listen to what you're doing a little bit because I got to, I might need to skip over quite a bit. Just listen to the podcast. We got you covered. We'll point you you in the direction of the episodes that are really worth (laughs) watching. Not to get political, but, you know, recently the DC officially changed the tagline of Superman, right? It's no longer truth, justice in the American way. And, you know, I addressed this once briefly on the show, but, you know, it's maybe now it's official, but even going back to this movie, and I remember, I think this was in the trailers as well. I, I remember people talking about it at the time when Perry's like, does he still stand for truth, justice, all that stuff? So, you know, yeah. even at that point in time, there was this, you know, kind of shying away from the, the, mm-hmm. the third prong of that. I just thought it was interesting. Well, don't, don't forget, this is also the first post 9-11 movie. That's true. Yeah. Like we're, we're, we're steep in Middle Eastern conflicts. And yeah, I think that was a smart, a smart approach to do it, especially if it's, if we're looking for worldwide box office stuff. Is there anything else as we close in on two hours here, is there anything else that we haven't talked about yet that, that you wanted to? Goodness. No, I, I think we hit on a lot of stuff. I, again, I, I still feel, I feel still really positive about the movie. Um, I think with any podcast we do, we're going to diagnose and critique things, 
But I think that hopefully listeners are getting that we're not necessarily trying to be picky, but just asking more questions and not necessarily in a negative way. I still stand by that. I, I would, I would put this at an eight, you know, out of 10. I still really enjoyed. There's so much about the creation of the movie, the vibe of the movie, um, the like the cinematography alone and the special effects. And truly, I do really like Brandon Routh. So that he sells a lot for me there. And and some people might disagree, which is fine. That's that's why it's a podcast and it's not fact, it's opinion. <laughs> um, but no, I I, I really I, I enjoyed re-watching it. Um and it was great. It was a great dad-daughter date to watch it in our back room and enjoy it together. Yeah, that's I, I love that you were able to experience that together. I mean, what was Lana's final assessment of it, do you think? No, she really liked it at yeah. the very end. I'm like, so she goes, that was good. No, I really enjoyed it. She goes, it made me feel like I was watching a little bit of Smallville too sometimes. And I was like, oh, okay. Um, funny, funny side thing though. Uh the scene, we, we have our we have a dog and we, we're a dog family. We love dogs. Um, there's a scene where he takes the ball and he's <laughs> playing with the dog and he like launches it basically into space and the dog just looks back at clark lana without skipping beat goes well that was kind of mean <laughs> your, like your your daughter and my wife had very similar reactions because uh <laughs> my wife is a is a big dog lover not not that i'm not but she really yeah. is and at that moment she was like oh and i was like oh well yeah. he's <laughs> His powers yeah. just came back. Like he hasn't fully right. calibrated yet. I'm like, I don't think it was, he wasn't trying to taunt the dog. It was, just, but it was just great. Happened. Like that's, I love that. That was her reaction. Like, it's, Oh, not like, how's he going to get that ball? <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. No, it's a fun. I, I think it's, I, if you haven't watched it, listeners in a while, give it a good rewatch, go with an open mind, know that you're not going to love Kevin Spacey. And, uh, and I think, I think enjoy it as a good film. I concur. Like I said before, this is probably the most that I've enjoyed it in the 16 years since it's been out in the, I don't know, half a dozen or so times that I've watched it. Right. And I don't know what number I would put on it. If I were, I don't know that I would go so high as an eight, but it, it, it would be over a five. I mean, I, I, like I said, I think there's a lot more to like than dislike in this movie. I mean, I don't know if you tallied up the minutes that we spent <laughs> talking yeah, about right. stuff we didn't like, maybe it doesn't seem that way, but the, again, it's, it's a, it's a gorgeous movie. And really, I think Brandon Routh does does a lovely job, and I'm going to circle back to him in a second to sort of tee up mm -hmm. our next episode. But nice, you know, in the end, it's it, it is a little tough sometimes to separate the movie in and of itself from its its place in the Donnerverse. But I will say that was mm -hmm. specifically the context in which I was viewing it for this Donnerverse right. event, and in that context. I really do come away with a greater appreciation and enjoyment, but certainly appreciation for it because, and this is all spontaneous, but I really think that even despite the ways in which it didn't work as a Donner follow-up, at least it tried to give some, not that it even tried to give closure because it was meant to continue on, but it, it ended up providing some measure of closure. And, mm -hmm. you know, for people who had such affection for the Donner movies, it's, you know, it's, it's sad to see what that franchise became in so many ways from right. Donner's initial firing to the disasters that three and four were. And then of course, in real life, in a far more significant, important, meaningful way, you know, the, the tragedy that befell Christopher Reeve. So there's a lot when you look at those movies and where everything went in the films and in the real world, it's just sort of like, you know, it's, it, it, it's sad what, 
where we yeah. went. And so the fact that there's this movie out there that did its best to try to bring back that feeling that people got watching those movies. Right. I, I think that's, it was an admirable attempt. And like I said, I think there's a lot to enjoy in it. I think that, I think my eight rating, if I had to kind of justify it, so to speak, I guess, if I was looking at this movie on its own as a Superman movie, I, I think it's an eight. I think if I compare it to other films in the genre or the Superman films themselves, I'd probably go more seven. If that, like, I think that's same thing you're saying. Um, I don't know if, if we had to attach a number to like Superman movie, Superman two, Superman returns, man of steel, Batman versus Superman. I wonder where we would fall on that scale. But, but I do think as a film, there's a lot of positives. It's it's I think it's really pretty to watch. It's fun. There's there's and and to be honest, it's also I feel except for the one scene that's hard to watch as a beating, I think it's very family friendly. Oh yeah, big time. And and where I can't say the same about the Snyder ones. That's, that's fair. The, that's fair. Yeah. That's <laughs> I think I couldn't I could show Superman Returns to Belle much sooner than I could show her uh Man of Steel or the next movies. Yeah, no, I hear you. I hear you for yeah. sure. I have really enjoyed doing these five episodes looking at the works and influence of Richard Donner. And I want to thank everyone who has listened and everyone, including yourself, Bernie, who's been part of these episodes and have done their homework and come in with <laughs> such great enthusiasm and insight. It's been a blast. I've, I think I've worked through a lot of my, my feelings, both positive and mixed towards the work and legacy of Richard Donner. At the end of the day, there's a lot of admiration and appreciation. And the thing that's undeniable is the fact that we're still talking about this template for this character that he created decades ago. And that's not nothing. Now, I said that I was going to tee up our next episode. So this is the conclusion of our five-part Donnerverse event. But look, Man, we're just rocketing forward into our next two-parter, which will take a look at the Superman of Kingdom Come. So next week, you and I are going to talk about the four-part Kingdom Come miniseries, and hand-in-hand with that, Brandon Routh's return as Superman, specifically the Kingdom Come Superman in television's Crisis on Infinite Earths. Yeah, I'm excited. I love that when you asked me to, because I knew you were going to talk about Kingdom Come, and I, of course, at home are going, please, 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 please ask me, please ask me to please ask me. And then I got the text and I was so excited. So I'm excited, you know, for anyone who's been listening to us talk about Superman Returns and it's like, wow, what about Crisis? We got you covered. We're going to talk about that next time. And yeah. that, uh, I mean, it, it certainly, I think it's a natural progression and extension of this because he, Brandon Routh in that television crisis is playing his version of Superman from Superman Returns, who is the Donner yeah. Superman. And he takes on key attributes of the kingdom come Superman. So we do get that bridge. So in, in that, in these next couple of episodes and in particular, the next one that that you and I do, we'll sort of see a little bit of an epilogue to the Superman of Richard Donner. Now just as a little tease for the audience. uh, I know we haven't rewatched the Brandon Ralph crisis scenes yet, but just from your memory, I mean, what was your overall like quick hot take impression of Brandon Ralph in crisis? Well, right away. I mean, I've always had an affinity for Brandon Ralph in this movie and, and other stuff. So I was sold like, Oh, I'm excited about this. 
right away, I love the gray hair. He's got gray streaks. So that's like, okay, they're doing this right so far. We got to look. Um, and, and it was great seeing him and Tyler Hecklin go, go nose to nose, not to spoil it, but, but yeah, that's, we're going to see two Supermans going at it, which was, which was exciting at that time too. I don't love the entire crisis series, Neither but do I, I, but I really, I do like, I do like this aspect of it quite a bit. Yeah, I'm excited to rewatch those scenes and to talk about that with you and even more so to reread the comic book, which people might assume as a big Superman fan that Kingdom Come is something I reread every year. I've not read it in many, many, many years. I remember liking it a lot, but I have not gone back to it in a long time. So I'm excited to read and discuss with you. So that's next week, the Superman of Kingdom Come, the four issue miniseries and Brandon Routh in Crisis. And the week after that, Rich Roney will be back and we're going to take a look at the storyline from Justice Society of America, Thy Kingdom Come. Oh, so good. Which saw the Kingdom Come Superman in the mainstream DCU Mm -hmm. continuity. So that's our next couple of episodes. So if you've enjoyed this, stick with us. A lot of good stuff to come. Bernie, thank you very, very much for doing this. I can't tell you how much fun I had. Good. That's awesome. I love love talking with you about really pretty much anything, Anthony. So especially stuff that we get enthusiastic about. Right on. So thank you, Bernie. Thank you, audience. Make sure you come back in one week. And until then, remember... It's about what you do. It's about action. One action I hope you will take is to consider joining my Patreon community. My new spinoff podcast, Digging for Justice, a DC movie fan journey, is coming soon exclusively on my Patreon, starting at the $1 level. Many more rewards are available too, including a robust catalog of bonus podcasts. Thank you to all patrons for enabling me to produce this show.